everybody. Welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker. Today is episode 271 for May 9th, 2022, and we've got a wonderful interview show for you today. I'll be speaking with David Reese from Malwarebytes, uh, who we've had on the show many times before. And in fact, I was just on his podcast, uh, Malwarebytes, called Lock and Code. If you haven't heard that, you might want to go check that out. Of course, there's a link in the show notes. We talked about my de-googling project. And today, David and I are going to talk about tracking and stalking, uh, mostly with mobile devices, uh, which is enough, because <laughs> I mean, these things, these computers in our pocket are full of sensors and are constantly transmitting all sorts of data to various things around us. So it's, they are just the best tracking devices ever made. And we all willingly carry these things with us 24 seven. So we'll talk uh, about what the problems are, the, the ways in which we're tracked, the kind of levels of tracking that are going on all the way up to full tilt stalking and government spyware. And then of course, we'll tell you a little bit about what you can do to prevent those things. Real quick, uh, we'll be having a new patron promotion coming up soon, probably starting next week. It will include the challenge coins, so uh, be ready for that. Uh, I'm in the process of revamping my Patreon goals, and I've added some really cool new rewards. I've actually already started those. Uh, I'm doing some more bonus content, and we're doing a book club, and uh, all sorts of great things uh, with me and my patrons. So anyway, I'll say more about that when it launches, and that will be very soon. All right, but we've got a great interview here. Let's get to it. David Reese is an online privacy advocate for Malwarebytes, where he writes about online privacy, cybersecurity, and the laws and proposed legislation that regulate how data is stored, shared, and accessed. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you for having me back. Uh, it's always so good to be on this show. <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing your show the other day, too. It's kind of fun we get to trade back and forth. Uh, so if people haven't heard that, they should definitely <laughs> go check out uh, the Lock and Code interview, too. So today we're going to talk about uh, what I think is a fascinating and kind of scary subject, but, uh, you know... <laughs> about stalking so like in the old days when you wanted to stalk someone you pretty much had to do it in person right i mean you know but you know, over the last 30 years or so i mean there's been an explosion in wireless technologies and you know ever smaller and cheaper form factors that have radically altered this landscape you know for example like the cell phones we carry around everywhere radiate signals constantly and i know that many businesses take advantage of this fact uh, you know, they have deployed wireless tracking systems in their stores to generate statistics, to, you know, identify returning customers even, you know, and improve store layout and marketing and all that kind of good crap. But how do these systems work and how prevalent are they? Like, what are the privacy implications here? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought these up kind of so quickly into the interview, right? Because it's something I didn't know about until honestly, just a couple of years ago. And just this idea that we can be tracked in stores, you know, through our phones, and that it's actually like very very like common yeah um so what we're talking about here largely is like bluetooth beacons right and and so essentially what happens is that what stores started doing some years ago as we know is is they started developing apps right there's like a target app there's a mcdonald's app there's like a best buy app and and those apps they they can provide specific deals right like coupons like hey you know you get you get 10 percent off your coffee right and and that's why people typically download them but what they also do is, is that they provide a new potential like wealth of information for the mm. stores so some of these apps request bluetooth access and the reason for that is because in the physical stores you know somewhat hidden in the stores are are what are called bluetooth beacons and these beacons can 
look like honestly anything. They can be like a little box. They can be, a, they can look like a router. They can be affixed to like a column, right? Mm-hmm. They can, <laughs> they can be anything at this mm-hmm. point. Right. But what, what they do is they send out a little signal. And when you, with your store app and its Bluetooth functionality turned on, right, that beacon finds a match. It finds a match with you. And, and when that match is made, that match itself, that information can be vital to a store. Mm. So, like, let's say a store is reconsidering its layout, like you were talking about. Maybe at Target, they're having trouble making, like, home goods sales. Well, with the data that the Target gleans, you know, from its app, with, you know, the users who have Bluetooth turned on, Target can actually see whether customers are even, like, walking through the home goods Mm. section. Mm. Or, like, maybe they're getting distracted, right, (sighs) in the grocery aisle, you know? Right. That kind of data can actually reveal what you're looking at and maybe even for how long. Your phone could match with the beacon once and then maybe a couple minutes later again and a couple minutes later again. And so Target can then realize, oh, wow, like this person really likes electronics, right? And mm. and they can use that data. Like I myself, I do not like this type of technology. Um, it, it feels invasive, right? And yeah. like the potential of what it promises also feels invasive. Like, like what if after you've been lingering in a section for long enough, the store like the app, right? The store app notifies you and says pretty much like, hey, since you've been here for a while, here's a coupon for 15% off today. It mm. it feels like you're being watched. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, like there's value in getting a coupon. But for me, I'm not a fan of that. I don't like the feeling of being watched. And, and it doesn't matter if it's not a person doing it. And it doesn't matter if like this data is anonymized, right? I'm, I'm sure at a certain level it's anonymized. They don't process it to say, David Reese spent 30 minutes in front of hot dogs, you know, like they're yeah, like right. user ID blah, 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 spent 30 minutes in front of hot dogs. But it's still, again, it's that feeling. Even if someone doesn't know my name, if a machine can sway my behavior, I am creeped out by it. That's it. Right. Man, I'll never forget the, the, the really super creepy story about Target a while back where this girl, this teenage girl is living at home with her parents and uh, started getting these mailers for, you know, hey, maybe you want to buy some baby food or maybe you want to shop for cribs. And it because they had tracked her and based on, she didn't say anything. She didn't register this anywhere, but they figured out based on her shopping habits that she was pregnant and her parents didn't wow. know. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah. And it's it it's crazy that like that type of story happens more than once. It's crazy that we have that to begin with, right? But the number of links that can be created, this sort of daisy chain of who you are that is unveiled through no fault of your own. You know, we hear all the time about, you know, like an app outing someone, like outing their sexuality through no, you know, through no choice of their own. And and these algorithms are essentially making decisions for you that you're not ready to make yourself, you know, broadcasting something it's terrible like that that woman's that woman's pregnancy is is hers until she is ready to discuss it and to like and target like broke the news like what is happening right 
Yeah, and I think it was it was super creepy. Like they figured, like I, I think they were looking at her shopping habits and figured out that the people who tend to buy these things are people who realized they recently were pregnant and they were getting ready for a baby. Oh. And so because of her shopping habits, they figured it was yeah, super totally creepy. Wow. Yeah. All right. So in recent years, you know, a handful of tech companies have created tiny dedicated devices meant to help us all keep track of things like car keys and purses and luggage. When Apple released the AirTags last year. There was a rash of articles about how these devices could be abused. So, you know, are AirTags really that much more dangerous than similar devices like Tile Tags? Like that was before AirTags, like Tile was like the the big brand, right? These little square things you put on your whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what has Apple done, you know, in response to this? What has Apple done to address these concerns? Yeah, so I saw those stories too, right? Apple released its AirTag. It's the Tile competitor. And a lot of people were like immediately upset. Um, about the implications of what this could of what this could uh, do, right? And mm-hmm. I think the, I think the anger that Apple drew came from like two things. I, I think one is right there, Apple. Like they're the big, they're like <laughs> big target, <laughs> the biggest company. Yeah, I, you know, one of the biggest companies. Yeah. And, and so if they're entering a space, it's going to be scrutinized more than if right. a company like Tile enters the space. And I think number two. There is a difference. The network that monitors AirTag movements is just far broader than like the Tile network. And so mm. to explain that, right, the way Tiles, like the, the physical devices, those get tracked is that they rely on other people who also have the Tile app on their phone. Mm. And all of those phones with the Tile app, they communicate with one another and they say, oh, hey, there's a there's a Tile over here. There's a Tile over there. There's a tile at you know this terminal at the airport and when you open the tile app right you can't see other people's tiles it's not how it works mm. it, it's just that there's I, I guess you call it a mesh network i don't know if that's mm. correct something but like that yeah i think you're right yeah and and it just says it, it's helping people locate their own devices by utilizing the the information from other people's phones by using utilizing like the data processing so that's how tile works air tags they don't rely on a specific app. The, the network is actually built from iPhones, iPads, and some Mac computers. And so, like, <laughs> the difference there is, like, there's hundreds of millions of those. Like, I don't know if right. there are hundreds of millions of Tile users, right? But right. there are certainly hundreds of millions of iPhones, right? And, and so, actually, I found this on Apple's own website. This is something they're proud of, right? It says... When you've left something far behind, like at the beach or the gym, the Find My network, hundreds of millions of iPhone, iPad, and Mac devices around the world helps track down your AirTag. And it's designed to protect your privacy every step of the way. So right there, right? We we can just see it's hundreds of millions. And so that's a concern, right, that some folks had Mm -hmm. in terms of the specificity of the tracking. And, And that tracking becomes more granular, actually, in an area with more Apple devices, uh, so, like, mm-hmm. where I live in San Francisco, I'm toast, you know? <laughs> like, if someone wants to track me, <laughs> I am sure that my upstairs neighbor, my downstairs neighbor, the people next door to me, I'm sure they have Apple devices. Like, mm. that's that's where we live. And we actually got, a like, an interesting experiment. We got, we got reporting done to illustrate how granular that is. So, last month or, or recently, a reporter named Kashmir Hill, who you and I have discussed before. She has mm-hmm. fantastic work. But yep. She's now with the New York Times. Uh, she tracked her husband with his consent with like three types of 
trackers. She, she used tile devices, she used air tags, and she also used this like mobile GPS tracker that she just picked up online off mm. of Amazon. When her husband was in New York City for work, she said that the air tags actually provided the most thorough location tracking, so much so that she was able to send that information from the air tags to like a photographer that she had hired who would then oh, wow. snap, right? Who would then like take surreptitious photos of her <laughs> husband in the city. And it's like the 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 piece for the New York Times is fantastic. I, I highly recommend everyone read it. Again, Kashmir Hill, you know, tracks her husband and it and it leads with like photos of him just walking through the city. And it's it, it's genuinely creepy. It's also kind of fascinating, though, because it's it's all done with consent. You know, we can look at it and be like, oh, OK, this is what it is. But but this level, right, it's this level of privacy invasion that can also happen without consent. And then the, the fascinating part doesn't feel so fascinating anymore. It feels it feels scary. Right. All right. So what protections are built into this system? It's not just a wide open, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So this is also what Apple's referring to, right, at that at that earlier segment. And it's designed to protect your privacy every step of the way. Apple does deserve some credit here for creating a system that even notifies people if they have an mm-hmm. AirTag on them that doesn't belong to them. So they have created a system so that let's say some let's say someone puts an AirTag on me, right? Mm-hmm. And it isn't mine. It isn't registered to my Apple devices. After a certain amount of time, my Apple devices will tell me, like, hey, you have an AirTag on you, and it's not yours. It's not registered to you. And you get that little notification, and that's, like, that's a good thing. Like, that's that's good to know about. That's great to hear. At the very beginning, at, like, the very outset, I believe there was, like, a timer for when that notification would go off. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was set to, I believe, like the reporting says, this, it was set to three days. Right, is, I remember that, yeah. Which is long, right. you know? What people are upset about is that in situations of stalking, particularly in domestic abuse, if an abuser plants an air tag on their survivor, right, on their partner, look, that person's going to work and coming right back home. And so that, that three-day limit doesn't get met, you know? That mm-hmm. three-day limit is never going to be triggered. And so... Apple has shortened that time. They're a little like cagey about what mm. the time limit is. And I've spoken to researchers about this. I've spoken to people who have tested the AirTags themselves. They are frustrated. They say that the notifications are not, they're not consistent enough. They, they don't get triggered quickly enough to them. I, I've spoken to people at like at a stocking resource center, right? A, a, mm. a place that helps fight stalking a place that provides resources for people who want to fight stalking they have air tags that they the way they kind of characterize it is like we just have air tags piled up in the office and we're just trying to get them to trigger notifications and we can't we huh. can't find out how it works and hmm. so it's good that these notifications exist right it's apparently there's still room for improvement though we, we can't figure out how they work and then one more thing right this is also important is that if you have an AirTag on you and it doesn't belong to you with your own devices, like your phone, you can you can make that AirTag make a sound. So let's say mm. I have an AirTag on me. My phone's like, you have an AirTag on you. It, it isn't yours. A way to detect it is I can tell my phone, well, play a sound. Make the AirTag play hmm. a sound. And through that, you can try and find it. The sound previously, I guess, was 
not loud enough. Uh, Apple got a lot of complaints mm. about that. And so Apple actually released some changes in February uh, of this year saying, okay, we're going to make a louder sound. Okay. Um, so that hopefully helps with this problem at the same time. I can see like I can see an AirTag being buried somewhere in the car, and it doesn't really matter how loud the sound is. Right. It's going to be hard to locate, you know? That's yeah. it. Well, and, and again, just to set the stage, I mean, in, in researching this, I found that you could, you could buy, for 30 bucks, you could buy a GPS <laughs> tracker that yeah. doesn't make any sound, that doesn't make any yeah. sound, that is, you, you won't get any notification that it's on you. So, you know, I mean, people, you know, like I said, Apple's a really popular company, and so obviously when they did this, they got a lot of scrutiny. But this this sort of tracking is you could do this surreptitiously with other very cheap devices. Yeah, you could like a, a <laughs> there's a thirty dollar one on Amazon right now. Right. You know, like that's the one that is used in the New York Times report. It's this thirty dollar device that has a data plan with it for like twenty dollars a month. But I mean, it's fifty bucks for one month of highly invasive tracking that doesn't give a notification it doesn't play a sound it's <laughs> right it's there to track you know so right. there you know i understand let's be mad at apple because they have the resources to improve this <laughs> and and like it seems being mad at apple makes things change which is great mm. being mad at this company that sells a 30 dollar device i don't if they if they have an email address i'd be surprised right. you know like, right right <laughs> that's it our smartphones are you know arguably the most sophisticated tracking and surveillance device ever made, <laughs> you know, without, even <laughs> right. without malicious modifications, right? I mean, so from that perspective, what sorts of tracking are enabled right out of the box with smartphones without any other modifications? Yeah, so I feel like, right, this question itself could just be like a multi-part documentary, oh, yeah. right? It's like so many episodes because like, let's just go through them, right? So the, so the function of the cell phone itself to make calls that can leave behind a, up an approximate location trail. Mm -hmm. And that's because when you make a phone call on your cell, your cell connects to any one of several nearby cell towers. And when it connects to that cell tower to make that call, it leaves behind a trace. Uh, that cell tower is like, oh, I was pinged by this cell phone with this number. That, that cell tower records that information and... Like, believe it or not, police have asked for cell tower records within miles of a crime across like a time span of an hour. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's a there's there's a crime committed at the corner of like A and First Street, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a cell tower on B and Second Street. And so the police go to whoever runs that cell tower and they say, Well, we need we need the information of everyone everyone's phone who connected with this cell tower for an hour, you know, 30 minutes before, 30 minutes after this crime. Depending on where you live, right? That like again, I, I use I use my my home as an example here, San Francisco. I think if you if you chose any cell tower in the city and you just asked for an hour's worth of data, you would likely get hundreds if not thousands of phone numbers that connected to it. Right. And so again, it's this kind of thing where like Look, someone someone knows where you are, and you didn't do anything. You didn't do any. You just happened to live somewhere, and so that type of tracking, right? That's just the that's just the cell phone part. Um, there's right. there's also there's the operating system on the phone, right? If you're using something like Android, which is owned by Google, yeah, you better believe your data is being used to track your activity. 
the default apps that come with Android phones, so often like the Google Suite, so Google Chrome, Google Maps, Google Search, those all track your activity. Like Google Maps obviously can collect your location. Chrome can collect your web browsing data. Search collects your searches, obviously. And, you know, since we're talking about apps, like let's look at what other apps ask for permissions, you know, to use like any of the things on your phone. But but let's let's stick with location services. Um, mm. For this podcast, I wanted to understand, okay, what is my iPhone? The apps on my iPhone. Which of the apps on my iPhone have asked for location data? Mm-hmm. And, and you can find this in your settings. Uh, you can go to like settings, privacy, location. And you can see like all of the apps that have requested to access your location. And just as a sample, right? These are the ones that have asked for my location. There's the app store. There's the Apple store, which is a recent app to like buy Apple devices, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not like buying the software. It's like I can click this app and I can buy like a whole new MacBook. Mm. Then there's the calendar, there's the camera, there's my bank, Chase, there's Instagram, there's Outlook, there's Apple News, there's Shazam, which is that audio recognition app, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's Venmo, the payment platform, there's the Reminders app. Like if you <laughs> if you just say, oh, I need to, you know, I need to remember to call the repairman today. That's asked for my location before. And I, look, some of these I get, like, I have a bus route app. I have a few food delivery apps. Okay, that makes sense. The reminders one kind of got me. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like, I don't know why it needs that. I'm sure it's someone's job to explain to me, like, well, <laughs> your results are better if you're, you know, we find out you're at this zip code instead of that zip code. All of these, right? All of these apps are asking for things that we don't necessarily anticipate. And I also should point out that I didn't mention a single like social media app because I don't have them on my phone. So mm. I don't I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't have Twitter on my phone. I don't have a TikTok in general. Uh, I assume though as well it is asking for your location. Oh, yeah. oh for sure. Those are collecting a lot more than your location. I can tell you that much, right? Right. I mean, some of these companies like Facebook are based off of advertising. They're based off of advertising that is based off of you. That's right. how they make money. And so again, I, I just think about like if this was if this was like a documentary, right? You could have an episode about how cell phones work. You can have an episode about like the operating system. You could have an episode about the apps on your phone. You could have an episode just about social media and you could have an episode about all the things that request location and it doesn't end, you know, it feels like it. It's right. just it's a rabbit hole that just keeps going and going and going. Well, I got to say, I'm an Apple fanboy. I'll I'll admit that. So I'm not not as familiar with Android. But I know one of the really cool things I liked about what Apple did with that is that with location information, you can go in and see all the apps that have requested it and all the ones you've given it to. But you've got, instead, it's not just off or on. You can actually, it's got a really interesting setting where you can set it to only allow access to your location when that app is in the forefront, which Mm -hmm. is really nice for like, Uber, like I, I understand, like when I'm running Uber, like only when I'm running Uber, do I want them to know where I'm at because the guy's got to come pick me up or I got to see where my car's at. That makes sense. But when Uber's in the background, when I'm not actively requesting a vehicle, they have no yeah. right to know where I'm at. And I don't want them to know where I'm at. Um, yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting addition. And I, I don't know if Android offers that now too, but I thought that was a nice kind of compromise. Yeah, I, I also, I use that setting absolutely as well. Um, something I really like about the Apple settings is that... um. Like you said, they, they let you choose to share location only when you're using the app. And then they also have like a more severe one, which is like 
ask for it every time you open the app. Mm, um, right, that's new. I I I like that. I I I think that there's absolutely some interesting value in making your own life a little more difficult, <laughs> like because that's what it has to do, like to to prevent tracking. Um, and right. what what's happening there is. Every time you open the app, it's going to be like, do you want to use location? Like you're going to get a dialogue box pop up and it's annoying. Like there's yeah. no, when you say, remind me every single time, you know, when you use that, that setting, your day-to-day use with your phone is going to be more annoying. And it's really interesting that we've been given the opportunity to do that, that we've just been allowed like, hey, do you want to, do you want to kind of hate your phone a little bit? <laughs> like, <laughs> Sign up for this. And I'm kind of impressed that, that, that that's something that, that cleared, you know, yeah like quality control like yeah give it to them it's cool (laughs) right well the other thing about some of this location stuff too is like do you give you know location information to some of these apps and oftentimes they'll you know they'll prompt you for these permissions but and there's like two extremes like there's one like uber or things like they when they do their job they need to know where you're at Mm -hmm. Uh, you know so but then or like weather apps that's another classic one like a weather app like so if you want local weather but then If you really want local weather and updates, like there's a tornado heading your way, then you need to have the weather app know where you're at all the time. And weather apps are actually horrible about privacy from things I've seen in the past. Um, but then the, the funny other thing that I got to say, the other extreme of this is I've seen flashlight apps who want to know your location. Like, really? <laughs> that, that just kills me. They just got to know what the what what parts of the country are dark. Yes, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, so, all right. So, moving on. Um, uh, so, under the guise of you know protecting our children and monitoring their whereabouts, some companies, you know, have created smartphone apps designed specifically to keep an eye on people, you know, whose phones they're installed on. Uh, but in practice, you know, these apps could be used, of course, to spy on anyone, you know, a spouse or significant other or employee or whatever. So, mm-hmm. how do these apps work, and, and what can they do? And can these apps, you know, be installed without the victim knowing it? Uh, how prevalent is this particular problem? Yeah, right. So what we're talking about here, right, is this term stalkerware, pretty much. Stalkerware mm. is a it's a pretty general term that reached consensus like a couple of years ago. And basically it's right, it's describing apps that can non-consensually track someone else's activity. And that activity can be their GPS location, it can be their web browsing history, it can even be like like these apps can provide access to photos and videos, mm. uh, text messages. I've studied one of these apps in depth. It, it was able to take control of a device's camera and microphone. Oh so my. yeah, I could turn them on remotely, right? And it would allow for, Oof. this is crazy. Um, it would allow for like live stream, like a live stream of what the phone's camera sees. And so I had a test device and I had a test account and all this stuff. And it was this wild thing where like you log into a web portal to access the phone and then I could just see what the phone saw, but there oh, was wow. no indication on the phone. The phone could be asleep, right? The screen could be off, but the camera was on. And so you just kind of get like a permanent view into someone's life. Oh, um, these these are the kinds of things they can do, right? It's terrible. Like I hate yeah. it, right? I, can, oh, yeah. I can't. There was another kind of wild thing where like it let me turn off the Wi-Fi connection, which again is just huh. like, why... Like, what What does that do? Who is this for? Like, yeah. this idea of like, oh, you're just monitoring your kid's activity. If your kid is looking at something questionable online, which happens, I understand, go to their room. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. Go to their head, you know, like, hey, um, 
you can't be looking at it. like you can't be don't turn off the wi-fi connection like unilaterally or like set up some rules hey the wi-fi turns off at 10 p.m the wi-fi turns off yeah. at 8 p.m something like that the, mm-hmm. there are there are solutions that are not surveillance based as to how these things get installed right it is very typically a manual install. So someone typically has to have physical mm. access to a device to install these types of apps. But the install process itself is its honestly like five to 10 minutes, which is mm. when we're talking about these things used as stalking apps, these things mm-hmm. used, uh, again, in, in situations of domestic abuse, five to 10 minutes. I mean, that's someone taking a shower. Right. Know? Oh, right. Yeah. That's it. The physical access also requires knowing a device passcode to get in. And so I remember when I first heard about that, right? Like, oh, you need physical access and you need the the device passcode. And I was like, look, that's a pretty high bar, right? But Mm. I was was wrong. Like, that's it. (laughs) When I learned what we're talking about, you know, again, domestic violence situations, an abusive boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, like those people have access to their survivor's devices. They live with them. And sometimes they also control enough of their partner's life to demand that their partner doesn't put a device passcode on their phone. Mm. Like they, I've heard stories of, you know, abusive partners who just say, no, you, you can't have a device passcode. That's, Hmm. that's our device, you know? Right. And so, these things like, oh, you need physical access and you need a device passcode, that's negligible, you know, in situations like this. It's not an obstacle. These are these are situations where those are the norm. And mm. whenever I talk to people about this, right, we always get the question, and it's a good question, which is like, how big a problem is this, right? Yeah. How, how prevalent is it? We have been tracking these types of apps for many years, actually since before I came to Malwarebytes. And in a new report that we're actually putting out next week, we're going to give the latest data on stalkerware detections. Mm. And we found that uh, for these types of apps, um, we call them stalkerware type apps, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We had 55,000 detections last year in 2021. So, right. So, what that means is we found these things (sighs) 55,000 times. Holy Um, crap. Yeah. I know that that number isn't likely like the millions of malware detections that other companies find. <laughs> right. But when you think about like how this is used and what it is and, and what it can do to a person's life, I think, I think one detection is too much. Oh, to sure. Yeah. Honest, you know, so it is a serious problem. It is, it is prevalent. It's out there. Wow. Okay, so then I got to ask, I mean, are there any privacy rights that would protect us from these kind of apps? Are there any legal consequences for installing, you know, apps like these without a target's knowledge or consent? Yeah, yeah. So I would I would like to think there are some privacy rights that could yeah. help with this battle, right? <laughs> I am also a little pessimistic, and that's because I was writing about this. I was writing about, like, I was doing the story. This is true. This is absolutely true. I was doing a story where I was like, there's a state out there that has a anti-stalkerware law. I forget which state it is. And I was writing a story with the entire intent of like, why doesn't California have this law? Mm. And then I had spoken to like three people and like the fourth person was like, California does have that law. (laughs) It's like, Oh, that's interesting because no one knows that. Um, Three experts I had spoken to didn't know that. I hadn't found that out myself. And they're like, yeah, we, we have one. We have an anti-stalkerware law. It's just hardly used. And so this isn't to say that the law is useless, right? It's not that at all. Uh, instead, it, it just kind of reveals 
how complex it is to like quote unquote solve the stalkerware mm. problem because like there's like solving it like the policy level which is like we'll just make a law we'll make it illegal mm-hmm. but then there's there's a very different calculus for people who are the victims of stalkerware because they're they're often not just the victims of stalkerware they're the victims of stalking right mm. they're the victims of abusive behavior mm-hmm. and when a person like that is handling is is dealing with stalking behavior like all they really care about is stopping the behavior mm-hmm. like they don't they don't care what law gets cited they don't <laughs> right. care what you know like right. what a if a cop arrests someone and then a district attorney one day is like we're going to use the anti-stalkerware law to put this person behind bars that person's like i don't care <laughs> like <laughs> right. you could use any of the laws out there and and just to be clear here like the use of stalkerware does break the law like it is a crime we have laws against reading someone else's communications without their without consent right we have the federal wiretap act right Mm. uh depending on how stalkerware is used it it could be a crime we have a law in new york i think it's called jackie's law which doesn't allow for tracking someone's location without their consent you know an adult bam you know using stalkerware in that way is going to break that law but again those laws aren't what matters to a victim at the end of the day what what matters to a victim at the end of the day is i want to stop the abuse i want to stop the stalking from happening and so you know they can start a new life they can work with a, a domestic abuse uh network you know support network to to move somewhere to get a new phone right a new phone yeah. is often what is mm. most you know most commonly advised you know you just have to start over they can work with law enforcement if they wish, you know, they can they can go through like getting a temporary restraining order. But again, I think a lot of a lot of the way we get to like fixing this is is we just have to like go after the companies. Like the companies that make this are also, we have found out in recent years, they are breaking the law. The Federal Trade Commission here in the United States has brought enforcement actions against two of these types of companies in the past, mm. like, three years. Mm-hmm. That's huge, you know, like, because mm. we did because before that it was zero. <laughs> like, yeah. And the Federal Trade Commission has been focusing a lot on, like, selling this type of software that is, that, that can be used illegally. That, that That's kind of their, their nexus. They're like, you can't, you can't make or sell or market these things that can be used illegally. Okay. And the first one, actually, they were like, they kind of they kind of hammered this one company because it had poor data privacy practices. And it's like, I guess <laughs> if, if that's the thing, if that's the thing that stops a, an app from being produced, okay, tell me that they had, you know, that they didn't have 2FA, you know? <laughs> like, okay. The, the overall point, though, is that like, yeah, I, I do I do wish that legislation alone could fix this could fix this situation. I think instead we, we really have to have support from every like sphere, right? We need government support. We need the FTC to go after more play, uh, more companies. We need companies like us at Malwarebytes, cybersecurity vendors, to detect these types of things, right? Yeah. To to find them and to help people know what's on their devices. And we just need to go out to communities and tell them, look, this is a threat, you know. If you feel like your partner knows something they're not supposed to know, we're not saying that's because of stalkerware, right? There's so mm. many things out there in the world of what we call tech-enabled abuse, right? Mm. There's mm-hmm. so many things out there that you can't just say, look, boom, like this symptom means, yep, you've absolutely got a stalkerware type app on your phone. 
However, it's still good to know about this stuff. It's still good, you know, we believe that the information really is powerful. Wow, yeah. Okay, so and taking it up like even one more notch. <laughs> so, you know, companies like the NSO group, I've taken, you know, it's stockware to spyware. It's, you know, I've taken it to a whole different level. Their Pegasus malware could be installed remotely without the target having any knowledge. Who is this company? And how are they able to hack a cell phone without ever touching it? And then how can this even be legal for a business, for a private company? You know, I get that there's intelligence agencies that do this. Okay, that, that's a different thing. But I mean, this is a private company selling a private product. How, how can this even be legal? <laughs> yeah, that's a great, like, that's something that I thought as well when I first learned about NSO Group, right? You're like, they're not in the shadows, really. Like, they, <laughs> right. have, they have a website. They do, dude, they do like, they do press interviews. Like, they speak to reporters. NSO Group is a, I, I call them a cyber offensive firm, right? They are looking for vulnerabilities. They're a cyber offensive firm that is based in Israel. And they're founded by like two former college classmates. And I guess, interestingly enough, if you want to say it, they started as like, they started a company that just helped IT professionals provide tech support. They, they created something that was like a, a, a remote device control mm-hmm. tool, right? And so that makes sense, right? Like there are times when you have a problem on your own computer and you call IT support and like, look, you're not gonna know how to do some of the things that you need to do. Like mm-hmm. someone, on, like an IT professional on the other hand, like I just imagine them saying like, okay, well you need an open terminal and you need to write this command script and it has to be correct and like, mm here are words that you've never heard before, like pseudo and stuff like that. And it's <laughs> right. like, it's, no, it's two backslashes, not one, you know, like it's right. not going to work, you know? So they built, they built a program that helped that. They, they it helped w- like provide remote control with consent from the right, device owner. Right. Uh, I don't know exactly when in the, in the company's history, but one day they were like, they were reached out to by a British intelligence agency that said it was like hey you have something that can provide remote access with consent we're actually interested in remote access without consent and there you go like they were like there was there was a huge promise of money behind this they were going to make a tool for a customer that's going to be around forever like a british intelligence agency Mm -hmm. like and so they 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 hired another person who had a lot of expertise in the uh, Israeli military intelligence, and they built NSO Group. And NSO Group then built Pegasus, this this spyware that has been around for, I believe, at least a decade. You know, mm. it's it's been around. So yeah, it's been around a while. Yeah. What Pegasus basically does, right? It it remotely hacks into Androids and iPhones, and it lays open all the information inside the device. It's uh, it's like stalkerware on steroids, right? So like mm-hmm. photos, videos, text messages. Previously, we knew that it could it could crack into a form of encrypted messaging that was available on old BlackBerry phones, um, mm-hmm. which were popular mm-hmm. like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So at like a really broad level, right? Pegasus is able to also be delivered, right? Through what are called zero-click exploits. Before this, Pegasus was installed through text messages. So it, it was sent and there was like a link and that a person had to click on it. They would click on the link in a text message and, and like that would set off a whole chain of commands mm-hmm. that would eventually lead to like a Pegasus install. 
it's like a basic version of opening a sketching email attachment, right? Right. Uh, yep. It, okay. It's pretty simple. I, I, we've done it before. We've we've fallen for it. It was kind of the same thing. Now, more recently, Pegasus can be delivered through what again are called the zero click exploits, which means that a victim doesn't even have to click a link or open an attachment. Mm. In fact, some Pegasus installs were completed without even a notification sounding on the iPhone mm. that like received the malicious text message. Wow. So yeah, there's no, there's like sometimes no way to notice it in your day-to-day life. Mm. As to how like a zero click exploit works, it's it can get technical, but the short version is just like, it's just that your phone is, your phone's a tiny computer at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And computers work by us telling them what to do and what pegasus like relies on for zero click exploits is it's telling your computer to do something it shouldn't do and our computers have a lot of like controls to be like no i'm not going to do that that's malicious Mm -hmm. like no i'm not going to do that you're not a trusted like actor you're not you're not the person who owns this device why would i carry out this command Zero-click exploits find a way through that, right? Mm. They find a way to fool your device into thinking like, oh, this this is a good command. Oh, I, to- I totally should do this. I can do this. This is a trusted actor. Let's not worry about it. These like exploits, right? The zero-click exploits, they're, they're exceedingly hard to even discover. So it's, it's not something that you stumble upon by accident. It's not something that you're like... I don't know, you're going through your settings and you're like, oh, that's a zero-click exploit. <laughs> like, right. It's it's targeted research. And with NSO Group, it's it's pretty much entirely like for the purpose of installing Pegasus. As to how this is all legal, oh, that's a good question. Mm. <laughs> um, the legality of it apparently is based in the fact that Pegasus is only doled out to countries so not individuals but to countries that the israeli government approves like Mm. the israeli government is hand in hand with who gets pegasus and that's because pegasus like at the outset said look we're we're going to have a again a sort of hand in glove relationship with the israeli government so that whenever a customer wants to buy pegasus they have to go through an approval process Mm. they have to get a they have to get a licensing agreement approved and look if the israeli government says no to another customer like to a government that's it like nso group can't override them they can't Mm. be like actually you know this company this country should get it like it's okay it's cut off and so it seems it's legal from the viewpoint that they've made it attractive to be legal you know like Mm. it's it's that there there is a relationship there and I don't know if that would fly in a country like the United States. I I don't know of any, I'm sure it exists, right? I'm sure someone's Mm going to prove me wrong, like immediately when they hear this, but like, (laughs) I don't know of another company that sells a product like this where the U S government has such an active role in saying no, yes, no, yes, 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 no, to the customer list. That's seemingly why it is legal. Well, you know, so yeah, so they say that they're only little to quote unquote good guys, right? And but there have been so there have been some actual recent cases I think that hit the news, in particular with NSO, where I think even the U.S. It didn't even the U.S. ban their products when they heard this. Like there was some yeah. there were some yeah. places that yeah. they were sold to recently that were obviously I mean that anyway you probably know more than I do. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a good point to bring up, right? NSO Group publicly tells people that, look, because of this arrangement they have, that they never sell to governments, to countries that like have a human rights abuse mm-hmm. record, right? And they say, look, everything's approved, everything's above board. This is only going to approved customers. Factually, the way Pegasus is used is far different. Like, mm. Pegasus has been provably found on the devices of entirely innocent individuals. It's been uh, found on the phones of people who reported on corruption in their country, right? Mm. Um, it's been found on the devices of people who were just like friends with someone, right? Mm. There's a There was a princess in Dubai who wanted to escape her father's kingdom and reporting indicates that she was at least targeted with Pegasus. We don't know if she was infected with Pegasus, but her friend was provably infected with Pegasus. And I'm Mm. being very careful with these words here, right? Targeted and and infected. Mm, Okay. That's because there is like a list of phone numbers out there that reporters believe is a list of Pegasus targets. They say, hmm. okay, this this phone number has been targeted with Pegasus. And the reporters got some of those devices and were able to test whether or not Pegasus was actually on it. They sent hmm. it to like other researchers. And those research, researchers found Pegasus. <laughs> like oh, they found wow. it. But the list of phone numbers was like 50,000 phone numbers. <laughs> and so you can't like, you can't test 50,000 phone numbers. Like right. you can't, you can't do that. So they tested like, I think like 64 devices and they found it, I believe on like 39, something like that. It's more than half, you know, it's, it's, it's a ton. If that was right, it, they got those phones based off of this list. And if that list isn't a targeting list, then what we're saying is that more than 50% of random phones had Pegasus on them, Mm. which is even scarier, right? Mm -hmm. Again, back to how this has been used, though. The one that always kind of gets me is that a government scientist in Mexico who supported a tax on sodas, so, like, that is as, you know, banal as it sounds, a soda (sighs) tax, a piece of legislation, uh, he was targeted with Pegasus. Oh, wow. It's these things where it's just, like, that isn't criminal investigation, you know, right. that isn't stopping terrorism, which right. is, you know, what companies and like countries always say they're doing with this type of product. That's not crime at all. Right, <laughs> like, right. It's wow. it's a government scientist who supports a soda tax. Oh, and geez. so that's how it's, we know that is how it is being used. The story starts to fall apart. That's it. Right. Okay, so now that we're all scared to death of our phones, uh, <laughs> let's talk about how we can defend ourselves against all this tracking. Uh, winding back to some of the simpler stuff, how, how can we prevent or reduce the tracking of our phones when we're, when we're out and about, given that so many of our devices are you know, radiating data constantly and just in order to function? I mean, it's kind of what they do, right? You know, do, we need, do we need some sort of privacy regulations to prevent it from being abused? Yeah, right at the outset, uh, I, I do think we need some form of privacy regulation, right? I, I think we need a form of federal regulation because without that, right, without a law, we're just kind of keep continuing the status quo, which is mm-hmm. that people have to manage their own privacy through endless like menus right. and consent confirmations, right? Right. And we just talked about like some of the apps at the top of the show. And it's like, goodness, that's a, that's a nightmare for the average user. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I think to lean away from that 
from that system that makes you, again, be the manager of your own privacy. I think we need a piece of federal regulation. I think we need something that says, look, it doesn't matter if it's based on... This is me, personally. Mm-hmm. I don't like the consent model. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it demands too much of the average user. I... I, I, if you can believe this, I like, I check all of my cookie preferences, like on every website where it's like, Mm. you get a little notification and it says Mm -hmm. like, okay, this, this website uses cookies. Do you want to manage your cookie preferences so that you're not included in like targeted advertising? And I do that every single time Mm. (laughs) a website asks me, which is every day. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sure. I can't stand it. I, and I do it though. And I don't, I, I don't think a lot of people do. And it's not their fault. It isn't their fault that they don't want to make browsing the internet a lame, slower experience. Right. And yeah. so if that's already like, that's, that's my test of like what a consent model would become if we push everything onto consent. And so I'm like, I don't want, I don't want that bad experience that I have on the internet you know, just on websites to be carried over to every interaction I make on like an app, you know? Right. I don't, I don't want it to be like, Facebook's going to be like, I don't use Facebook, but Facebook would be like, do you want to post this photo? The photo will be used for X reasons. Do you want to agree to facial recognition in this photo? Do you want to agree to facial recognition of your friends in this photo? The recognition will be matched for that. And you're like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I don't think that makes the internet a better experience. And so, yeah, that's, you know, I think, I think we need some regulation. Uh, until then, right, there's a couple of things that people can do. That thing we talked about at the very top, right, Bluetooth beacon tracking. Mm-hmm. Turn off Bluetooth, you know? <laughs> like mm. that's, that's the simplest one. At the same time, I understand that's annoying because, like, right. I don't know. I have Bluetooth headphones. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yep. I, I don't want to turn off Bluetooth when I am using it in a, right. in a functional way. Yeah. Also, you know, at that point, you're just being told, you know, don't download those apps, you know, those store apps, which again, mm-hmm. I I understand someone who says, well, you know, I get really good deals. That's, I get coupons that I wouldn't get anywhere else. I, that's attractive. Like it's, it's hard to make people change behavior when they're being so clearly enticed, you know, yeah. into, into this behavior on some of the app tracking that we spoke about, right? The data collection that that data collection doesn't have like a universal toggle like across all devices. So right. it's not as simple as like Bluetooth on, Bluetooth off. Like, yeah. unfortunately, you have to go into settings. And so on iPhones, right, Apple rolled out this uh, this great feature that makes it so that new apps that you download have to ask you if you're okay with data tracking. Mm. And you can say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you can just be like, no, I'm not okay with that. And they rolled this out, I think like a year and a half ago. I don't know anymore because the pandemic changes time. <laughs> I know, um, yeah. <laughs> but after that feature was initially rolled out, we learned that the majority of users said no to app tracking. It was, right. like, a, it was like a fire alarm for companies yeah. like Facebook and YouTube. These yeah. people, we don't want to be tracked. It's just that maybe until now, right? We didn't have an easy way to say that. And so for those who don't know what this feature is, right? It's, it's again, it's in the iPhones. It's in settings and then privacy and then tracking, right? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at 
you go into your settings app, you go into privacy, you go to tracking. I'm probably gonna say that like 10 times today. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. There are good settings in there. There are great settings in settings privacy. You can see, again, what is requesting your location, but for this thing tracking, you can you can turn on or off the option to force companies to ask you whether or not you wanna be tracked. And that's so many like verbs in a row that I, I wanna say essentially what you're doing is you're telling companies, no, you can't track me. And, right. and that's good. Like that's, you know, that's a great thing for GPS tracking, which we talked about as well. Mm-hmm. Some people find usefulness in like, let's say having GPS tracking on for a lot of things, like even like Yelp, right? That mm-hmm. way right. you start up Yelp and the app immediately knows where you on, like the app immediately knows where you are without having to type in the region. Right. For something like this, right? It, it's it's up to you. Do you want to do you want to have it so that Yelp only accesses your location when you're using it, or do you want to go the difficult route? Do you want to type in your city? I right. do that. I I have to right. type in San Francisco, and it's lame. I don't like it. Like, <laughs> and people shouldn't have to have this lame experience. Is all I'm saying. Like, right. again, we just keep getting to here are all the steps you have to take to just function in a normal private way online and boy i wish we didn't have to do that i wish there was a i wish there was a law that just said no you can't do it default you can't do it it's not it's right we don't care we don't care if you know someone's like yeah share it all like i don't you know don't do it i know that'll never pass whatever but (laughs) that's that's what i dream of Right. And, you know, and it's a kind of a false choice. I mean, it's, it's, so they say, well, you know, we've, you've always had the power. It's like telling Dorothy that she could always click her heels three times and go home, except in this case, she's got an Imelda Marco size closet full of thousands of shoes, some of which she doesn't even know she has anymore that she needs to click together. Because it's not just one you got to do this for. You got to do it for all of them, right? <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You have to do it for all of them. There are too many. When I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago for our podcast, Lock and mm-hmm. Code, right? You told me about, look, you should look at all the things Google collects on you, just the categories of data. And like, in while we were recording the episode, I was like, oh, I got to do this right now, you know? Like, <laughs> and there were 47 checkboxes, 47 <laughs> categories. And I say this as someone who, who manages his cookie preferences on every website. <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm doing that with 47 checkboxes. Right. It ain't happening. Right. So what about, you know, like dedicated tracking devices like an Apple AirTag? You know, Apple spent a lot of effort trying to implement anti-stalking features. But, you know, how do those work and how will they prevent unwanted tracking? And, you know, do you think Apple's done enough to address these concerns? Yeah, we spoke a little bit earlier, right, about some of the controls that Apple has implemented to make mm-hmm. these AirTags more visible, more findable when they're used in improper ways. And uh, I should note that Apple has rolled out like other changes as mm-hmm. part of that yep. batch, right, that batch of upgrades in February. One, again, like I said, is the, the sound that gets played is going to be louder. Uh, two is that they're going to implement something or they already have called like precision finding. Uh, one of the complaints they got is that like, if you have a air tag on you that shouldn't be there, it's hard to find it without knowing exactly where it is Mm, because mm -hmm. something being a meter within your proximity is actually 
like very difficult to find. <laughs> like right. if it's in your, like if it's on your person, it could be in a pocket. It could be in a purse. It could be in a bag. Um, we have heard stories of these things being sewn into mm. clothing. And <laughs> I mean, at that point, like, what are you going to do? So <laughs> right. that's a, that's an extra step. Apple said it's also going to start working with law enforcement or it already has started working with law enforcement more closely to train them on these things and to, and to help like provide, I guess, evidence when they're asked, you know, uh, mm. again, uh, if this is, if this is, you know, a stalking case, Apple said it's also going to issue like a new warning during AirTag setup, which is mm. just something really simple to be like, Hey, you know, these are not meant to be used to track mm. anything other than what you own. Mm-hmm. This can't be used in a different way. And it says uh, the notification apparently says in like a setup, it's like, if you use it to track other stuff, that can be a crime, you know, it just straight mm. up calls it out. All of these things are better, far better than the, you know, the $30 GPS tracker, which has no (laughs) controls on it. It's got nothing. At the same time, I wish there was more. I I really wish there was more. I don't think that a notification during setup and saying like, this is a crime. I don't think that stops crime from happening. Mm. It's, It's for a different reason. But that ad, you know, like 15 years ago, you wouldn't download a car, right? <laughs> like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously that doesn't work for a ton of reasons. Right. And it's become a meme and it's just dumb and it's silly, <laughs> right. but I get the same, I get the same feeling from it, which is just like, you wouldn't do this crime, would you? And like a lot of people are like, yes, I would. <laughs> like Every, <laughs> Every pirated movie I've right. ever watched has the same FBI warning at the beginning. <laughs> right. It, it didn't stop anyone, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I don't think it's enough. I, I want more. What those things are, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do wish simply that when a company of this size released a product like this, I wish that before they released the product, they actually reached out to more experts in the Mm. field because I think what we got is we got like a beta, you know, we got a Mm. beta version where as soon as it was released, a lot of smart people were like, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. And Apple recognized they were like, Oh, that is a problem. Okay. You guys are right. (laughs) This development process shouldn't be left to the public after release. You know, it should be, part of the development process before right. release. And I think we could be further along than we are now if Apple had started these conversations internally rather than let the conversations reach them externally. That That's yeah. it. All right. So again, moving up the ladder to some of the more creepier stuff. So if you're if you're at all concerned about like stalker wear, you know, being installed on your smartphone by an abusive partner or an ex-partner, what, if anything, can you do to protect yourself? How would you know if your phone was infected? Is there any definitive way to cleanse a suspect device? Yeah, one of the things we actually always recommend is really simple with stalkerware and stalkerware type apps, which is just have a device passcode if possible, right? We're looking Mm -hmm. at six digits. We're Mm -hmm. looking at making it mandatory also for every single unlock, right? It's not the kind of thing where Oh, if you unlock it, then it's good for 10 minutes. It's just make it mandatory, right? Mm. Um, you can also use a fingerprint or face scanner. Okay. Again, that's that's totally fine. Those are good ways. Mm-hmm. The important thing here is that you don't share your passcode with people you don't trust or mm. people who are harming you. Look, mm-hmm. 
realistically, couples share device passcodes with one another. That mm-hmm. that's something we can't avoid. We can't pretend it's not real. It, it doesn't help anyone. My my wife knows my passcode. I know hers, and mm-hmm. it's used for extremely specific, like minor situations, like like oh, we're cooking dinner, and she set a timer on her phone, and it goes off, and I'm closer to her phone, and I have mm-hmm. one free mm-hmm. hand, so I I unlock the phone, I turn off the timer. Right? It's it's easy. It's never yeah. been. It never will be abused. It's never gonna be. She's away from her phone, and so I'm snooping. Mm-hmm. So, to simply be again realistic about our advice, yes, healthy relationships do involve the sharing of passwords, which could, mm-hmm. which can sound scary, but they right. don't. They don't leverage those passwords for control. And second, like to find stalkerware on on a device, um, you can absolutely run a malware scanner, like Malwarebytes. Um, mm. You can also run any of the scanners offered by the cybersecurity vendors in the Coalition Against Stalkerware. Those tools are available on Android. Uh, Android is is the platform that has the stalkerware problem mm. more prevalently. It just is. And a lot of those apps, including Malware, Malwarebytes, they're entirely free. Uh, you don't have to pay to download this mm. scanner and have it run a little check on your device to see oh, if that's there's... Good. Right, to find a, a dangerous app. If we find something, we will let you know, and then you have the choice to remove it. So again, kind of simple stuff here. Have a device passcode uh, and download a scanner to find it if you think it's on your phone. It, it, they they will find it. We will find it. <laughs> All right, so we talked about the, like, the really scary one, but how, how, how concerned should the average person be about spyware like Pegasus, for example? You know, who should be concerned about it? And you know, what, if anything, could you do to protect against that? Yeah, so after all that time, I talked about like how scary Pegasus is, mm-hmm. which it is, okay? Mm-hmm. It is, I'm not gonna detract from that. I do have to say that for the average person, it is not a threat they should prioritize. It's not. Mm-hmm. Like, Pegasus is used often from what we know against investigative journalists political activists dissidents uh, human rights lawyers mm-hmm. anyone who would show up on like a an oppressive government's radar mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. most people are not those people right that at the same time doesn't mean that we just get to ignore the problem right just because something is happening to some people doesn't mean it's not important and so what I hate here, right, is that some people might get the idea that the way to, like, protect against Pegasus is to, like, not do things that will upset governments, mm, which, like, right. <laughs> which isn't, that's not a solution. That's right. that's putting the onus on the victim. Right. Um, if you don't want to be surveilled, well, don't warrant the surveillance. Like, right. No. Be, un- be uninteresting. <laughs> right. And we can't, we can't have that. Like right. that can't be the solution to anything. And I think it applies way more broadly, just beyond Pegasus, right? In the same way that, look, it's it's not the fault of the reporters being spied on with Pegasus. It isn't our fault that we're having our privacy invaded at all, like in general. It isn't your fault that Google and Facebook collect your data. And, and someone's saying, oh, well then just don't use Facebook or Google. <laughs> They're proposing the same type of too narrow solution to removing something that, like, for years was vital for so yeah. many people to connect. Right. I mean, there are countries where Facebook is nearly synonymous with the internet. Oh, where, right, yeah. Yeah, where being online is so deeply intertwined with being on 
Facebook, that like the two are kind of nearly the same. And yep, so yeah. what do we tell those communities? Oh, just don't use the internet. Like, right, right. It's unrealistic. Yeah. It, it's it's not something that we can do. So it, again, it, it isn't our fault that we relied on the tools that we were told were essential to our lives. It's It's the tool maker's fault for taking advantage of us. Right. All right, last question before we go. What what does the future look like for stalkerware and spyware? Can we can we address these, you know, from a purely technical standpoint? You know, can we can we finally get it right and, and you know, Apple and all these other companies make these phones immune to these things effectively or you know, is this going to require, you know, legislative or political remedies? Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic here for the first time in the whole episode. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> well, good. We'll end on a positive note. <laughs> right. That um, that we can do something about this. So on things like spyware, right, you mentioned like regulations and also just like political uh, remedies. So treaties, mm-hmm. bans, sanctions. NSO Group was uh, put on what's called the entity list uh, by the U.S. Department of Commerce, which means plainly that like our companies in the U.S. cannot do business mm-hmm. with NSO. While that sounds kind of like beleaguered and kind of like okay well what is that Mm -hmm. realistically that's like a big deal because like let's say let's say nso group relies on amazon web services to host Mm -hmm. its to host Mm -hmm. its tool like it can no longer do that it has Mm. to get a different cloud database provider that's a Mm. that's a big thing yeah let's say let's say uh nso group is using I don't know, like, let's say they're using Dell computers. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they can no longer do that. Well, they can buy mm-hmm. used ones right off a of black market. Right. But, but they can't, you know, they can't, like, yeah, they can't use the NSO credit card, you know, to, right, like, right. buy from Dell. And, huh. like, it sounds funny, but there's 100% a chance that NSO has a corporate account, you know, and sure. they, they have a corporate credit card. Like, right. they're, they're a huge business by now. So. Yeah. That does affect them. I think that's I think that's one of the angles. I think that there's also a technical standpoint here where companies get better at detecting these things. Companies get better at finding these mm. things. For some, something like a stockerware type app, again, the coalition against stockerware, the vendors inside of it, the cybersecurity companies inside of it are still working to improve their detections. But what mm. that means is they're they're working to like get better at finding this stuff. And mm-hmm their list is growing like the list grows every single year for what can be found uh and and that's huge i think that's a i think it's important i i also think that for something back you know unfortunately to something like pegasus pegasus has been delivered multiple times through exploits that we didn't even know about that's Mm -hmm. that's how it got sent and so Unfortunately, it's one of those things where, like, even if you're updated to the latest version of, like, iOS or or your Android, like, Pegasus, it's worked against those in Mm -hmm. the past. Like, Mm -hmm. Apple has had to respond. And thank goodness, right, the companies do respond. They they release an update, they release a patch, and, and and it fixes it. But the people who work at NSO Group, it they work day and night to find really really technically advanced exploits and so well and there's a whole there's whole markets for this thing there, there are whole yeah. markets for for uh finding bugs in code uh, that absolutely you know there there are some companies that, that you know that pay bounties for these things but then they keep yeah. it to themselves or turn around and sell it to the companies like this right yeah yeah that's a good point right we've been hammering on nso group for a while but like so 
as something that we know, something that we know happened is that the United Arab Emirates built a, like a surveillance apparatus. They built a digital surveillance like regime, right? And it was called Project Raven. It may still be called that. I don't know. But it was called Project Raven. And we know because a fellow in the United States entered what's called a deferred prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice. Essentially, he got found for helping the United Arab Emirates build this surveillance machine. And he could have gotten in trouble. And Hmm. it's all laid out in this document that's like, here are the things you did. And in that document, we found that the United Arab Emirates paid for two separate exploits, right? The thing we're talking about. Mm -hmm. A company had found an exploit and then they they sold it. And one of the exploits sold for (laughs) $750,000. And and the second exploit sold for $1.3 million. Oh my. This is a business for some companies. And so, yeah, it's it's like a little cottage industry that Mm -hmm. rakes it in. And so there's a lot of people working on this. That's it. There's a lot of people working on this and expecting just the folks at Apple and just the folks at Google to be able to prevent it from happening. We need more than that. We need a lot more than that. And so that's why I do think, right, we need, like, we need grassroots support. Like, we need people to know mm-hmm. about the problems. Mm-hmm. That's that's on the stalkerware angle. That's what the mm-hmm. coalition against stalkerware is trying to do. We need cybersecurity vendors uh, helping people, educating people. We need, if possible, regulations or or legislation that has some real teeth Um, we need the government to go after developers of these programs where they can find them and say no look this is illegal this is you can't be doing this and if it's not illegal we should make it illegal (laughs) right yeah it's you know selling selling exploits specifically for cyber offensive campaigns against the public that feels like it should be illegal. I could, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe right. not making it illegal is what allows like our government to buy mm-hmm. exploits because mm-hmm. one assumes that that happens as well. But right. sometimes it feels like a line is just too clearly drawn in the sand and we've crossed that line. And so I, I think this kind of stuff shouldn't be allowed. That's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's hard to make a door that only good guys can go through, right? And so, right? Yeah, and how it you, doesn't exist. Right. Well, David, that was very eye-opening. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fun to discuss, if not a little bit depressing. But, <laughs> but thanks for giving us a little bit of hope there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show again, Carrie. Uh, I love talking this stuff. I can talk about it for days, and that would probably bore everyone, so I'll only try and talk about it for hours. <laughs> or depress them. <laughs> that too. <laughs> thanks, David. Thank you so much. Big thanks again to David for coming on the show. He's always so fun to talk to. There's lots of links in the show notes. We mentioned lots of things throughout this interview. I tried to capture all of those uh, there. So if you're interested in some of the things we discussed, check the show notes for for more information. I got a couple quick updates about the Apple AirTag thing. Apple has released, I think since this interview, has released yet another uh, update for AirTag software. And it's kind of weird. Like you can't like go and explicitly update the AirTag software. I think you just have to keep them near your phone and your phone will handle it uh, at some point. You can check what version is on the AirTags. I think you have to go to your, uh, on your device and your phone, you go to the iCloud account. And if you look at the bottom there, you can see your devices. And I think if you check those devices, it'll tell you what the, the version is. Um, unfortunately, I don't know off the top of my head what the new version is. But anyway, expect that uh, they, I think they added some more, even more, 
anti-stalking kind of features to the to the air tags. Also, we talked a little bit about the reminders app, and as I was listening to the episode and as we were editing it, actually because I'm doing a class right now on getting to know your Mac and and, and using your Mac effectively, I, I know why the reminders app went to your location because you could do some interesting things with reminders. Like you could tell the Apple reminders, you, you can say to Siri, you can ask, uh, hey, remind me when I get home to do this, or remind me when I leave home, or remind me when I get to work, or if you have any other saved locations, you can actually have some of these reminders trigger based on your location. And one more thing I was going to throw out, uh, another protection against a lot of these spyware tools, particularly some of the zero-click stuff from the NSO group, and that level of spyware. Most of those software hacks do not survive a phone restart. So if you just, you know, if you're worried about that, if you just want to make sure that you restart your phone every so often, that usually clears out those kinds of infections. All right, so we're running long today, so I'm going to cut it off there. I have another news show for you next week. So until then, stay safe, everybody. And as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.